Welcome to Axiom's Data Guru Podcast, where data experts share wisdom and insights around high-value audiences and all things data. I'm your host, Scarlett Burks. Welcome to the Data Guru Podcast. Today's focus is the California Consumer Privacy Act, better known as CCPA. We're pleased to have our data guru, Linda Harrison, and Axiom's data privacy expert, Leslie Price, with us as we delve into this topic. Leslie, can you give us a snapshot of your resume that brought you to your role today as senior manager of Axiom's Privacy by Design Solutions? Sure. Um, I have been in consumer data marketing for nearly 30 years now, and the majority of that time I spent in product marketing and product management, but I've always had an interest in the compliance aspects of consumer data. So in 2019, when Axiom product and engineering team added positions solely responsible for um, managing and implementing privacy in our products and solution, I jumped at the opportunity. Um, I will note, Scarlett, I am not a lawyer. I'm a product manager. Um, So as we talk about things today, it is not legal advice, Um, just general comments and best practices that, that we apply here at Axiom and that we recommend for our clients. Great. All right. Well, let's start at at square one. What is CCPA in a nutshell? Well, CCPA, in my mind, there's kind of two two things that stand out. First of all, um, as everyone probably already knows or has heard, it's really groundbreaking legislation. It's groundbreaking in that it is a law that guarantees consumers' rights for transparency, choice, and control of their own personal data. But what's equally important for me is that it kind of is a, it's kind of the leader, it's kind of the template as we see states coming out with their own privacy policies as we look at federal bills, um, all of those state and federal bills are kind of stepping in line. Um, they may be on a range with what's being looked at with respect to transparency and choice and control, but they generally were, are within that same template. So it's really important from those perspectives, we think. And so right now, CCPA only covers California residents, correct? That is true. Um, Currently, CCPA only covers um, California. However, from a technical perspective or from a processing perspective, as many companies have put their their procedures and their processes in place to respond to CCPA requests for access or requests to delete or opt out, um, it tends to be um, more of a choice as to whether you want to open it up to the entire country or not. So we do see a lot of companies and a lot of our clients who are affording those same rights to California residents that they are to residents across the United States, um, though some companies are, are preferring just to keep it at California at present. Hey, Leslie, this is Linda. Yes. I'm, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. Okay. So what if I'm not a California resident, but I'm in California? Are our clients treating those consumers as having the same rights as California residents? It really and then what about what about if you're a California resident and I'm visiting family or on vacation in another state? Then what happens yep. there? What most companies are doing, Linda, um, and that's a good curveball. So what most companies are doing is that they are looking for the consumer to validate their identity 
with a California postal address. So you really do have a California postal address that you are submitting. Um, so as an example, if you were traveling, you could be wherever you wanted to be. You could be in Japan and you could go and request um, an access report or a delete or an opt out. Um, and again, with respect to, you know, what if someone from North Carolina decided that they wanted to, to get their report, then it really just is up to that company, whether they are processing across the board, um, you know, access reports and deletes, pretty much all companies, we know process opt-outs, that's been so standard for decades for marketers, um, but the delete and the access functionality are new. And it really depends on the on the company itself. Axiom, I can tell you, um, up until now, we are still only processing in the state of California. So if someone comes to us, we do respond to them and let them know that at this time, we aren't processing outside of California, but check back. Um, and we're kind of currently evaluating our strategy to determine if in the second half of this year, we want to open it up to the rest of the United States. That's fair enough. Well, let me flip a question back to you, Linda. What's the most common question your digital advertising clients are asking about CCPA? They normally ask if Axiom's data was built in a privacy compliant way mm -hmm. and if we're CCPA ready. And I Sometimes they try and imply or get more information about what that means because there's just not a lot of education in mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. the subject, which is why we really wanted Leslie to help clear some of the air for people and help them understand what's happening in July. So, Linda, how do you actually respond to that when they say, is Axiom's data compliant with CCPA? What's the general response there? I tell them we are one of the foremost companies on consumer access, notice, and choice with data ethics built in, right? Because that's where we've been all of our lives, right? We have been advocating for this, uh, consumers to understand what we know about them if they need to know, right? And we don't, we don't get data from places that aren't going to comply with the sourcing requirements. So right. I agree. It, it's a, to me, it's a nuanced question, right? Because, right. you know, at the end of the day, um, we do have, and we have had since our inception, robust processes to vet our sources of data. So we are looking at things that are addressed, not just through CCPA, but through industry policies, if we're with the IAB or the ANA or the DAA, that sort of thing to say, is the appropriate notice given? Is opt-out given? Are you, are, 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 you, are you disclosing how you're using the data and are you actually using the data in the manner with which you disclose it? We look at all of those things very, very carefully. I think that question is nuanced because at the end of the day, we can't guarantee someone else's compliance, right? We can say we're giving this data to you and we, we, are, we, can, we are very transparent in sharing with you how we have compiled it, the checks and balances that we consider appropriate and applicable, both for our own policies, industry best practices and regulations. But you, Mr. Company, to, for you to be compliant, you have to live up to the law, right? So you have to determine if under CCPA, as an example, it's data collected and you're reporting it out in the report and things like that. So there's always that little nuance that says we can share with you how we have built these products, but actual compliance with the law really is up to you and how you apply them within your own business. I gave you a great recipe, 
but you, you still can. might not make a good cake. That's exactly right. Yes, that's exactly right. Your baking powder was old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Leslie, so let's turn back to uh, more of the education about CCPA. There's three criteria for profit businesses to see if they need to adhere to CCPA. Can you give us the basics there? Yes, as you mentioned, there are three criteria and you only have to fit into one of them. Axiom actually fits into all three, so you might find that you fit into more than one. The first one is if your annual gross revenues are greater than $25 million. The second one is if you derive at least 50% of your annual revenue from selling California consumer personal information. And the third is if you buy, receive, or sell personal information of 50,000 or more consumers, households, or devices in the state of California. Most people will fall into that third one. 50,000 um, consumers isn't significant when compared to a state that has over 40 million individuals. So that's generally where most people will hit a threshold for being considered a covered entity. And if a California resident requests information about the data that you, you have on them, the business needs to provide what? We consider this the right to know or the right to access. Um, if a consumer contacts and says, I want to exercise my right to find out what data you have on me. If they do that, then a company, what they need to do is provide the consumer with a report the report reflects any data activity for the prior 12 month period. And there's kind of three categories of information that's provided in the report. The first is data collected. That's actually a defined term in the law. And that means that you have to report it a specific piece of data and based on the category of data that's defined in CCPA, you need to provide that information. So as an example, if you've collected name and the data associated with the consumer is Leslie Price, you would report the category under CCPA, which is personal information and the specific piece of data, Leslie Price. The second thing that's part of that report is any data sold or disclosed. That's at the category level, so not the specific data. So you're only required if you sold or disclosed the information um, in that report. One thing that's really important is that um, the definition of sale under CCPA is very broad. Don't assume that it means I'm making money. What it actually means is that um, I'll, I'll read out to you what it says. The consumer's personal information is provided by the business to another business or third party for monetary or other valuable consideration. So it's really important to kind of review all of the output and determine if it would be a sale. Because in many cases, partner relationships um, could be considered that because of the valuable consideration. Finally, the last piece that needs to be reported are the categories of third parties to whom you sold or disclosed the data. So as an example, if you provided it to an auto industry or airline or retail companies, or maybe to your own email service provider, the law doesn't give you those categories. You pretty much get to make them up by your, on your own. So um, 
think about a consumer who's comparing reports across across different marketers that they've received, um, expect to maybe get some questions because it could be kind of confusing um, as to what those categories looked at look like since there is no no standard for that. And how quickly does the company have to respond to be in compliance? With respect to providing the report, a company has 45 days to provide that report. Now there is an exception in the law and the company can take an extension of an additional 45 days, which means you would have 90 days to provide the report. Um, if you do take advantage of the extension, there are requirements in the law about notifying the consumer that you are exercising your 45 day extension. And, and how are companies verifying that the consumer making the request is who they say they are and not their nosy neighbor down the street? Yes, um, that would be my mother. She's the nosy neighbor, not down the street, but like blocks away. Um, so um, it, verification is really important because if we think about what could happen if the data went to the incorrect person, um, it could cause embarrassment, it could cause harm. So verification is something that is supported by the California AG. One of the things that I think um, most companies look at when they're considering verification is, do I have a customer relationship? Many companies, particularly if you're thinking about banks or maybe publication companies or retail companies, you ha already have a customer account system. So it's perfectly fine. And the AG has said that it is OK if you want the customer to go through your existing processes to validate who they are and get to their existing account function and order these and make these types of requests through existing account functions. However, most of us also do deal with non-customers or prospects or hand raisers, and that makes it much more challenging um, to validate. So there are many companies out there. Axiom is one that sell um, verification products. Ours is called um, Axiom's Identity Assurance. Um, different products from having to, you know, scan your driver's license to just asking questions that only you should know that verify that you are who you are. So that's one of the things that most companies are looking towards is these types of tools for being able to um, verify. One thing that um, is, I think is also important to note, Scarlett, is that the California AG also has said, you know, if you as a company don't feel completely comfortable and confident that you have been able to verify a consumer, you are allowed to tell the consumer that you are not providing them um, their information. Um, they encourage you to do everything that you can to try to validate them and output that info. But if at the end of the day, you think that something illicit is going on or nefarious, or you just can't validate them, you're permitted to say, we can't validate you based on this information. Okay. And with CCPA, California residents can request to be deleted. How is that different from today? Deletes are new in our world. They are not new in the GDPR world. It was it's kind of the forget me function or right to be forgotten. And essentially a delete is that a consumer has the right to say, get rid of my personal information um, that you have collected about me. 
What is interesting about delete though under CCPA is that there are quite a few exceptions and exemptions. So one of the things that's really important because the exemptions and exceptions are things like you need to maintain the data so that you can honor that request to suppress or you can maintain the data to prevent identity theft or security breaches or to ensure that you're able to uphold an account um, processing. So as an example, if I ask my bank to delete my data, it may be appropriate for them to delete my marketing data, but there may be data that they have to maintain for me to be able to access my account and use my account services. So with delete, again, the goal is to remove the data in so much as you aren't claiming an exception or exemption. But I think it's also equally as important to understand um, to be able to report back to the consumer. So if you get a delete function and you are only maybe applying the delete to marketing data and not account information, talk to your consumers about that. Let them know what you've deleted. Let them know you've processed their request, but maybe you haven't deleted certain account information because you, it's needed to maintain the relationship with them. So consumer communication is always really important, especially with deletes. Can somebody then change what they requested, much like you would with that IAB or other do not calls, things like that? So yeah. that if I at one point said yes, no, and yes, it may be. That's a really good question, Linda. Um, um, and we do see a variance in how um, companies are applying it. So at Axiom, our business is buying and selling data. We don't have consumer relationships with consumers. If they ask us to delete their data, we actually are removing their data from our marketing products. We are maintaining a file just of our identity links so that we don't add them back to our list. So our intent and our policies are that we won't add them back. However, we have spoken with many clients who have said um, I am going to remove the data. Let's say as an example, it's an auto dealer. Um, this happened to me last year. I was searching for a car. I went on the, the um, dealer's website. I set up a profile. I built a couple cars because I wanted to see what my price range was and what my availability for functions was. So if I then went to that car dealer and said, delete me, they may likely delete me. And what we've heard from most companies that this that they would delete me. However, what we've also heard that is if that consumer then makes additional strides essentially to reestablish a relationship, they're going to set them up again. So if I said delete me, they may delete all my profiles, but maybe six months later I go back again and I set up a new account and I put in a new login and a new password and I set up a new car. They're going to add me back again. So the important thing there is you're correct, Linda. There is variation in how people are doing it, but think through your use cases understand what your strategy is going to be in the event that you do get questions from lawyers, from auditors, that sort of thing. You're able to provide what your policy is with respect to adding the data back. Makes sense. So when is all this going to get real, Leslie? What's, what's the timing when enforcement starts? Well, enforcement starts on July 1st. Um, one thing that's important to note about that, 
the regulations, the final draft of regulations has not yet been submitted by the AG to the regulatory offices it needs to be submitted to. Final regulations need to be submitted by May 31st, which is coming up very quickly. If those regulations are not submitted on time, the regulations will not be enforced until the next quarter or October 1st. That doesn't mean, though, one thing's really important doesn't mean the law isn't going to be enforced on July 1st. Just may mean that we don't have as much clarification as we would get with the regulations. But the law goes into enforcement on July 1st, and the California AG has been very clear that he intends to begin enforcement on July 1st of the law. Do you think they're going to pick out some bad actors right away, get some publicity, find somebody to pick on? I've heard variances. Um, some people think that they will pick on low-hanging fruit, uh -huh. like notice and choice application of minor data, in particular providing opt-outs, that sort of thing. The other thing that we have already seen is there are quite a few cases that have already been submitted under CCPA for the security breach. So, um, the interesting thing with many of those cases is that they are security breach claims that occurred prior to the law going to into effect on January 1st. So I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how you prosecute those. Um, there's a lot of legal legal um, discussion about how those will proceed. Uh, but that might be something else that we see is the security breach provisions, um, which are under, you know, private action as opposed to the AG. And what kind of penalties are companies facing if they don't meet compliance? There are two tiers of penalties right now. So the California Attorney General can enforce CCPA by bringing lawsuits for the civil penalty, penalties if there are any violations of the provision of the law. And those penalties are $2,500 for each violation or $7,500 if it's an intentional violation. So that could be pretty big considering we have 40 million consumers in, ca in California. Um, with respect though to the security provisions, um, the security penalties um, can be brought by private litigants. They can bring civil act actions for statutory damages and a violation of the data security provisions. And those are set at $100 to $750 per consumer per incident or actual damages. The court can also weigh in on injunctive or declaratory relief. And they can also um, put any other relief that they deem proper um, for those particular violations. So two tiers, civil through the AG, um, and also the, um, the security breaches that can be public. And does it make any difference if a business is doing digital advertising or would it be different if they were doing uh, email or direct mail for the campaign? It could. Um, the, the question I would ask is, does your digital targeting use PII or known data? If so, then the attributes that you're using for your digital targeting may need to be considered for you know, rights to access or deletes or opt out. Largely when we're using digital targeting, we're working with anonymized or pseudonymized data. Um, and anonymous data is generally um, exempt from CCPA. 
uh, keep in mind when you're looking at anonymized data and are you exempt, there's kind of this undefined bar that says that you have the appropriate technical and administrative standards that the individual can't be re-identified. So it's really important where you're doing digital. Don't automatically say I'm doing anonymous or pseudonymous data. Um, really where you're doing digital, what, what we would recommend or what I would recommend is walk through your data flows and understand um, if you need to report it or not, or if it truly does meet, meet the bar for anonymous data. Now, obviously, if you're using email or direct mail, um, an email address or a name postal address are considered personal information under CCPA. So those would be data pieces that you would need to disclose in an access report, delete if you had a delete request, opt out from sale if you had an opt out request. Um, so if email and, and name postal are part of that digital targeting or if there's a re-identification, then those would need to be, be reported accordingly. So what about retargeting? I'm going to jump in and ask about retargeting. So if someone logged in, I got their PII because they logged into, let's say I'm an online e-tailer mm -hmm. and then I retarget them. I say that that becomes non-anonymous data and it would be covered under CCPA. Um. Yes, if you're if you're retargeting, you're dealing with the PII and you're then sending an email or you're following up with a direct mail campaign, I would agree with you, Linda. Yes. That data that you're using for that retargeting, then then we would say that you would need to um, that would fall under CCPA obligations. Well, what if I just keep reserving them ads because of their login on my account? It's still all online. I would say that's still yes. Covered. If they've signed out, signed in, so they've signed into an application or they've signed into the website through their account, generally those sign-ins include the collection of a name, a postal address, an email address. Um, those things all do fall under personal information and you would need to report them um, in, a, in an access report or delete them according to a delete request or opt them out from sale. That information you would, absolutely. Good. So let's talk about a couple of definitions that y'all have used. First of all, uh, you say PII. Tell me what that means. Um, first of all, I'll say that there are extensive definitions in the law itself. So it's always important to look at the law because we all use many different terms and we can have variations in how we use those terms. But under CCPA, PII is considered personally identifiable information or what they call personal information. And it's information that identifies, relates to, or could be reasonably linked directly or indirectly with a particular consumer. So where that's important, there are the common elements as marketers were used to day to day, your name, your postal address, your social security number, your account number, your email address, your driver's license number. Those are all things that we know day in and day out. However, personal information also extends to those unique identifiers, which might be things like an identity graph link that many of us use in today's world for marketing. And if you have that type of identity link or record identifier, and it's specific to one individual consumer, it likely also needs to be considered as personal information. Okay. And another hot term that we hear a lot that, that I've probably don't say even say correctly most of the time, but when somebody says something is pseudonymous. So pseudonymous is a variation. Pseudonymous came about with GDPR, which is probably why a lot of us don't yet know comfortably how to pronounce it. 
Um, and essentially, it's data that is no longer attributable to a specific consumer without the use of additional information. So the information itself is being kept separately from information that can identify the consumer. Um, and that is also subject to technical and organizational measures to make sure that the personal information, which is identifiable, is not attributed back to that pseudonymous identifier. Um, and that's how pseudonymous comes into play. And how is that different than de-identified information? That is a really good question. De-identified um, <laughs> <laughs> generally, so under CCPA, de-identified actually is information that cannot be reasonably identified, related to, describe, or be capable of being associated with it or linked directly or indirectly to a particular consumer. Generally, so my understanding from people I've asked in data ethics and, and legal experts is that the de-identifier has this higher level of promise that the data will never, ever be re-identified. Whereas pseudonymized, generally, if you're dealing with a pseudonymized bucket, you also run into use cases where we know that with additional applications, we can re-identify a consumer maybe to do an email or a direct mail. Whereas de-identified, you're saying that, that the personal information has been stripped off. And from a technical and an administrative perspective, we aren't going to re-identify this data. But I think there is still some gray area in interpretation of those two in particular, at least in my mind, Scarlett. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to play a little lightning round game here. To, let's, so let's see if the business, I'm going to name the type of business and you tell me if it has to provide data categories back to the consumer. Okay. So small charity doing online Facebook campaign. So there's a couple keywords that I would plug into there. First of all, it's a Facebook campaign and we've just talked about the use of anonymous and pseudonymous data. So what kind of data are you dealing with in that campaign and, and does it need to be reported? The other things I look at there is that um, a business for the purposes of CCPA is defined as a for-profit legal entity that satisfies one of those three thresholds that we talked about at the beginning of our conversation. So the question here would also be, is the charity a for-profit legal entity? And if they aren't, um, then they likely don't have to provide consumer rights afforded under CCPA, including reporting out data collected, sold, and disclosed. Okay, what if I'm a big hotel targeting consumers who live in Canada? Well, the CCPA applies only to California consumers. So um, in my mind, um, assuming that these consumers are living in Canada, they have Canada postal address, so they're Canadian, then you likely would want to follow Canada law, but you would not have to follow CCPA law unless you are just being extremely open and transparent and you want to afford those rights to Canadian consumers as well. All right. The last one, a big financial services company targeting doctors at a convention in San Francisco. This one's also in its depends. There are exceptions for B2B data under CCPA. But one of the things when I'm looking at this, it seems to me that many companies also have 
attributes associated with individuals that indicate a profession. Um, Axiom has that. What is your occupation? What is your profession? And since, I guess the way we would view it is since that information is linked directly with the individual, we would consider that reportable. So if we had someone listed as a doctor, when we are reporting out our, um, our access reports or data collected, sold or disclosed, we would report that information as well because it is specifically aligned to the individual. Um, though again, I would encourage you if you're working with B2B data, particularly B2B lists, you may really want to again, review those data flows and determine how you're making the association. And if you think you need to report it out under CCPA. All right. And Linda, a question, another question for you. What are the biggest concerns you're hearing around CCPA from digital advertisers? Do I need to comply? Does this matter to me? That's the number one thing they want to know. And then number two is, did Axiom already take care of everything <laughs> as far as, you know, am I clean? Right. Right. And as we said earlier, Axiom does the data ethics. We do it really well. But you're baking a cake here and we give you the good ingredients. You could still trip and fall and face plant on that cake. Right. There are responsibilities from multiple fronts. Yeah. Okay. So, Leslie, can you wrap up our time together by summarizing the three most important things for marketers to remember about CCPA? Um, I would say first, remember that enforcement begins on July 1. Don't let media discussion that the regulations haven't yet been submitted and won't be, and if, they're sub, if they aren't submitted on time, regulations won't be enforced till October 1, confuse you. Enforcement of the law itself, as it was published final on January 1st, goes into play on, January, on July 1st. Secondly, um, there is a second kind of something called CCPA 2.0 or CCPRA, which is the California Privacy Rights Act. That's been submitted by the same um, private citizen who was the impetus for CCPA. Um, it takes CCPA to a higher level. Um, it's based on dissatisfaction with the legislative process in enacting CCPA to the degree that private consumers feel that it should be enacted. Um, they, their first gate was to clear somewhere around 650,000 signatures to be on the ballot by November. And early media reports are that they have sufficient signatures. They actually have under a million, around 900,000 that are being verified um, to go onto the ballot. Significantly um, for marketers, one of the things it does is it allows the right to correction. Um, which might be difficult for some people. It also sets up a private um, entity, a separate entity, I should say not private, but a separate entity to oversee enforcement of the CCPRA and several other things. So if you're not familiar with CPRA yet, you might want to get it on your books to start looking at it and what it might mean for your business. Finally, this isn't in relation to CCPA um, specifically, but just regulation in general. We're going to continue to see an increase in regulation of consumer privacy. And if there's one thing I've learned in talking with clients and businesses over the last year, there are many clients out there who, and businesses who don't have 
a standard set path between their product and engineering and their legal and compliance teams. They tend to work in a vacuum, they work in silos. And so where, where operational policies, operational processes come into play, they maybe don't meet the legal expectation and where legal policies are set down for a regulation, they maybe can't be operationalized. So if I could provide any advice, I would say start to open those paths of communication, whether it's proactively, whether it's through leaders, whether it's through discussion. I think the more that you can have an ongoing communication path set up with your legal and compliance teams, you're going to have po operational policies that make much more sense to you and that are easier to implement implement. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that great information with us. Um, that was a wonderful, wonderful yet concise way to get, to get the full picture of it. So as we close out, I'm going to ask both of you, since I know both of you happen to live in wonderful areas to be quarantined in with the lake and the mountains right outside your door, but <laughs> what has been your favorite quarantine activity so far? I'm a huge reader, so I've been reading even more books than normally. <laughs> and lots of walking. I live on a lot of private land, so it's nice not to have to see people or wear masks and just go outside and walk. So those are those are my activities. That's awesome. Linda, how about you? I've been fishing. Yeah. So I've been out on the lake and even just on my dock and Yesterday we tried a new bait. I, I fished with crickets, oh. which, Ooh. which aren't aren't fun to put on the hook, but the fish <laughs> really like them. So <laughs> it's been many many years, but I fished with crickets before. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.